This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, we are going to talk about physiology of football or soccer for some of our listeners. And we have a great guest for today's episode. Our guest is working as a professor and dean of Faculty of Health Sciences in the University of Faroe Islands. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Professor Magni Moore. Welcome, Magni. Thank you so much. Yeah, great to have you. So, so you are from Faroe Islands. I think probably many of our listeners don't know too much about the islands. Could you tell us a bit about the islands, climate, and how is how is life there? Yeah, the Faroe Islands is a small uh, it's a small country in northern Europe. So it's based uh, between uh, uh, Norway and Iceland, and it's a small island country, only fifty five thousand people. Uh, it's a quite developed country. Uh, lifestyle is quite similar to to Iceland and Norway and the Scandinavian region. So it's a very good place to be. Yeah, the weather could, could be better, but uh, otherwise it's great. Yeah, yeah. So you have few few small islands there, a group of islands, and and kind yeah, of yeah, middle of the eighteen islands. Yeah, eighteen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really interesting. So so you've been doing quite a bit of research about football how how did you end up doing research in in football yeah i was a football player myself uh, i played on the pharaohs when i was uh, five years old and then i moved to denmark uh, kept on playing there and, and went to the university and and uh, during my university time i quite early got involved in uh, uh, like as an assistant in in research projects that uh, involved football match analysis in football and and so on, and that led to some uh, some great opportunities uh, working with uh, as fitness coach and uh, match analyst uh, for various teams in Denmark, uh, Danish Danish national team. Uh, at one point, I was doing match analysis for Juventus in Italy, uh, and then uh, after my university time, I did the PhD in the physiology of soccer or football, and and then I've been. Basically, researching and and but having some time off when I've been working for teams uh, as as fitness coach. Uh, so so between the the laboratory and the university and and the, the pitch now for for twenty five years and uh, so so most of my research actually uh, yeah involves football both in both the competitive side of football but also uh, also football as uh, as as means of of health promotion. So 25 years of analyzing and researching football, what do you find as the most fascinating parts? I think that, that it's, it's, it's quite interesting uh, over these 25 years to see that uh, when we began, uh, we began trying to understand what football is. Uh, so we were among the first groups in the world that started to do systematic match analysis and to look uh, at football from... Uh, from the match analyzing perspective, because uh, when you watch the game, uh, you always focus uh, on where the ball is. 
So uh, if the ball is on the right side, uh, you look on the right side and and therefore you perceive the game to be at a very high intensity during the entire game. Uh, but when you look at the individual player and, and how they respond to, to a game, even at the highest level, Champions League or the World Cup, you see that, that most of the time players are actually walking and then they are jogging. And those... Very few, but very important, intense actions that they have. They are very short. Uh, so it's short bursts of really high intensity exercise, followed by recovery periods. And, and that's like the fundamental understanding that you need to have of any sport. And, and when you have these match analyzing data, you, you may have another view on what the game is. So, so, so I think that's that's the starting point, point uh, is to to understand what football is, and then try to link that to physiology. So, try to obtain uh, physiological measurements uh, throughout the game. So, so that's uh, I think still when we are working, uh, we're still uh, struggling with trying to understand some of those same basic questions. So, so basically, you said that it's a little bit less intensive when you look at the individual players. Could you could you give us some details to give an idea what what is the what is the demands of of football game? Yeah, yeah, the f- football is very complex uh, in in relation to demands, and we call it a hybrid sport because you you need to you need to have a high endurance capacity because you are repeating these intense actions uh, throughout 90 minutes sometimes 120 minutes uh, and and then you need to be very good at doing uh, high intensity exercise and to recover from that you also need to be good at speeding uh, at sprinting yeah, but you also have uh, strength and balance and coordination so uh, So if we look at, at, at those those qualities uh, from from uh, yeah yeah from the outside, then uh, if we look at uh, the individual players in the team, there are huge individual variations. So even if we uh, and most teams still are training football players uh, as a team, uh, we see very very large variations and some variations that are so large that it could be different sports. So, um, um, if we look at at the amount of high intensity exercise, which is the important part of football, it may be eight times uh, higher for one player compared to another. So, a lot of individual differences, and and you said that you need to have a capability for high intensity. How would you quantify kind of the capability that you need to be able to? perform in the end of the game which needs some sort of endurance recoverability but you need high intensity activity that you can actually go and make the goal and and sprint fast so how would you say the balance between between these two different things yeah and and when you mention these things uh, in the balance it it it, it always it, it also leads uh, uh, to another question and that is how is the The physiological demands and the tactical approach uh, of a team uh, and even uh, of uh, an individual player, uh, the tactical role of a player, these things are also interconnected. Uh, some players in the team are are limited to work uh, 
to utilize their entire capacity in a game because of their tactical role, such as central defenders and, and the holding midfielder in some systems, not all. While most of the other players are, are utilizing their entire physical capacity in the game, and uh, and and we see that uh, that if we look at uh, at matches, uh, maybe ninety percent of all matches, uh, the most intense period of the game is the first fifteen minutes, and after that, like the game comes into a a stage where where more or less there is uh, the same intensity until the end of the game where there's a decline and, and most of the players start to fatigue. Uh, so, so the balance between between this is, is, is highly related to the role in the team. Uh, it's all highly related to the way you play. So if you are uh, Barcelona or, uh, or Manchester City and you have that style of play, uh, you need to you need to have uh, a physiological preparation that is quite different. For for example, if you are uh, a more transition-based uh, team or counter-attack team, so so it's, it's highly related to both at team level but also at, uh, at at individual level to the team tactics. So it's it's, it's an integrated uh, uh, sport where where, where things uh, there is an interplay between. Uh, between team tactics and and the physiological side of it. Yeah, so basically the strength and conditioning coaches should know better or should know well the tactic and should know what kind of fitness is needed for this kind of tactic. Yeah, yeah, and and, and basically both at team level and at individual level, you are not uh, conditioning players or teams for football, but you are conditioning uh, players and team for a specific type of football. So, so this is why it's so important that there is a common understanding in, in a team, like the head coach, the assistant coaches, uh, the fitness coaches, uh, the goalkeeping coach, all of these uh, persons needs to be able to communicate and, uh, and to plan uh, according to what they want to achieve Uh, on on a, from a holistic pers- perspective, so so this is why you are not conditioning uh, uh, Liverpool necessarily the same as you are conditioning Barcelona. So how do you see how many teams, how many percentages of teams are are doing this well that they have the tactics and the training done in in synchronization in a way? Uh, I think it has improved a lot. Uh, because uh, I've been working in the English Premier League and La Liga and and uh, in those teams uh, years some years ago uh, we were maybe scratching the surface uh, on, on on that level but I think that today because of technology and because of uh, that most teams have uh, like uh, educated staff uh, they have people that have come out of university and that are educated in the physiology of football and and also that have this basic understanding of what football is and that you need to condition uh, players for their specific role in the team and all this information about the, the individual variations and the interplay between between physiology and tactics and technical abilities and so on so i think that that we're we're getting better at that but we are we're far away from being good enough uh, on that basis.
And and you said that the first 15 minutes is most intensive, then it stays the same, and then there's the fatigue in the end. Have you looked how many matches are decided in the in the period when the players are fatigued? Is it more more goals there? Does it affect the yeah, game? Yeah, we know that there are there are, there are more decisions or decisive events uh, in the last 15 minutes. So so that's a critical period of the game. Um, we also see some tendency for 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 these types of uh, uh, yeah decisive events uh, being more distributed uh, in the in the beginning of the game. So I'd say that the early phase of the game, where players are uh, are fully recovered, uh, but also during the entire game, we have these uh, situations that we call peak periods, and that's. That are, those are the most intense period for the individual player, and uh, and when we look at what happened, uh, what happens uh, football-wise, so so technically, tactically, in those moments, it's it's where decisions uh, or decisive events occur. Uh, so, so I would say that that there are the early phase of the game, and then I would say the peak periods that happens during the game, and then the last 50 minutes. These are the critical. Uh, events in a, in a football game and 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 uh, going back to what I said earlier that if you look at match analysis for 80% of a game 80% of the time uh, even in the in the English Premier League uh, and and even at uh, and the national team of Germany and Spain and Brazil and so on players are walking standing still or jogging for 80% of the time so so most of the of the entire Uh, of the full game uh, is being spent on low intense activities, and this is why what is interesting from a physical point of view, but also from a, a football perspective, are those really intense uh, uh, sequences uh, that occur in the game, and, and these are increasing uh, dramatically if we if we go back in time and look at uh, match analysis data from the from the 1990s, uh, we see that. Uh, The intense uh, part of the game was much less than it is today, so it has developed into uh, like similar to ice hockey that you have sequences where the intensity is extreme, followed by recovery period, and then you repeat those sequences uh, again and again until the until the until the end of the game. So, so that's that's a huge difference, and that is what uh, football coaches and Fitness coaches should uh, should have the emphasis on those intense uh, and critical moments of the game. This podcast is sponsored by Fibion. Uh, my name is Dr. Paul Batman, and I'd like to just say a few words about Fibion. Um, I've used it a number of times on different projects that I've been involved in, and find that it's incredibly reliable, very valid, and incredibly sturdy. I love the graphics that come with it. It really is very clear and can easily see the active in and active periods as well. So I'd certainly recommend Fibion to anyone that's interested in finding out more about sedentary behavior, particularly the concept of sitting and how we can possibly break it up with some really good valid information. Fibion, from researchers to researchers. So would you even say that football is from a physiological point of view like a power game that you need a lot of explosive power? But just enough endurance to be able to survive the game. Yeah, yeah, it is a combination, and and the the, the balance between uh, power and endurance is also related to the way 
to the style of playing, uh, like we said before. But uh, but it's it's the it's developing more and more towards being a power sport. It's much more a power sport today than it was uh, a few decades ago. Uh, quite recently, uh, during the during the lock the first lockdown of COVID, uh, we we wrote an, an editorial to to a scientific journal. So it was uh, football researchers from uh, from Europe, uh, and then we also had some some uh, representation from uh, from a, a football a football team in in the Premier League to have the football uh, angle on it. And the idea was to try to, try to predict uh, how football will look in 2030. So if we go around 10 years in time, uh, how how will football look? Um, and, and we did that by going back in time and analyzing how much has it changed and if it stays on this trajectory of change that it is on now, how will it look? And it will explode in relation to uh, how intense uh, football will, will, will be in the future. Uh, more games, more training, uh, um, much more higher intensity, more sprinting, more uh, explosive events. Uh, that is is what football will will develop into, and I think we already see those trends. And uh, and uh, now we have the five substitutions uh, during the game, uh, which is a direct consequence of uh, of that. You are people are starting to acknowledge uh, how, how hard and demanding it has become. So basically, developing power needs certain type of training. It needs needs like fast movement fast movement with certain loads maybe olympic lifts maybe plyometrics do you see enough power oriented training in football if the game demands power um i think it's it's it's, it's i think that uh, like what we call high intensity interval training or uh, and and then strength training uh, so strength training in the gym and then high intensity training on the pitch these are the components that uh, that should be prioritized in relation to these changes and demands, but also in relation to to what football actually is. So, so I would say that uh, that uh, I don't know what's going on in all teams in the world, but uh, but uh, uh, when I'm in the football community, I also see now that that we are moving towards markedly higher. Uh, emphasis on strength training but also on on more intense uh, training on the team on on the field uh, i would say that we are we are not there we are we should do more of it uh, and in a more structured way but uh, but i think uh, i think i think we see very clearly that uh, that these things have changed and and how would you say you have analyzed the sport and you probably know very well the seconds of something like how many seconds intensive activity is so would you say that it's more about maximum performance like how fast you sprint or that can you do the high intensity work without getting fatigued for example after seven seconds of something yeah i'll say it's it's, it's a balance between those because uh, if you have you may have a central defender uh, that is doing seven sprints in the in the game, uh, seven sprints that are uh, one, two, three seconds long, and as such, this is not not demanding. But 
but every single actions uh, action uh, of these actions uh, may be decisive. So for that type of player, uh, it's much more important to be explosive and to be able to read the game and react uh, than it is to be endurance, to have a high endurance capacity. And then you may have uh, like a box-to-box midfield player uh, who needs to be good at many things, but but every time that player is doing high-intensity work, this player is under stress because this player needs to do the work all the time. He needs to, uh, he or she needs to be at the right time, at, at the right place. They need to, they have many long runs. So for that player, it's it's less important to be like explosive in single actions compared to what it is to be able to to maintain uh, as less as little fatigue as possible when these uh, actions occur. And this is back to that that uh, many years ago we started to have an individual focus. Uh, when I was uh, doing these match analysis for Juventus, we started to do individual training, trying to train the player uh, according to the game demands. Uh, and later I worked uh, for Chelsea Football Club. We developed that uh, that model quite uh, extensively uh, together with Carlo Ancelotti, who's now the coach of Real Madrid. And um, during those years, we had quite detailed analysis of uh, like key performance indicators for the individual player. And uh, so what, what actually is occurring in the game and how can we train that uh, on the pitch and according to physiological principles. So, so I think this is, this is a little where the development of football lies to be able to train the player as close to, to his or hers uh, game demands as possible. So could could you tell some of the some of the changes that you do? You had the key performance indicators. How did you change the tra- training? Yeah, you can change the training by by because uh, if you have a full squad of football, uh, in, like in the, in the big teams, you have twenty uh, five or thirty players, uh, and one of the things that is special in team sports in general is that you play games all the time. So you you play at least once a week, but during the season, but at least in, in some parts of the game, you play two or three games a week. So, so it may be perceived as a coach that it's, it's, I always need to prepare for the next game. So it's, uh, it's almost about playing and recovering. But those players that are playing the game, it's only eight players that may play the entire game and with five substitutions now it may only be uh, five players that are playing the entire game so so you will have uh, you have a lot of opportunities to do individual training with those players that are not playing uh, you will also have a lot of opportunities to do individual training individual physical training uh, with those players that are playing uh, small sequences of the game so the substitute players So, so we did a lot of that by trying to focus on uh, those players that were not playing, uh, and to find uh, like holes in the program where where players could uh, could work uh, on an individual basis. And and how do you say you said that there's basically games all the time? How do you see the role of strength training? It's it's quite difficult if you do hard leg strength training to be able to perform to be still dexter with your feet. How how do you see programming hard strength training in the program? 
Yeah, it depends on uh, how well prepared your players are. So if you're start, uh, starting from scratch, uh, it's always good to start uh, outside the season. So when the players go on holiday, uh, they can be prepared uh, for, for strength training. Depends on your scenario. But if you have a team that is, is well prepared, they are technically developed, uh, they know the drills, uh, they can do them uh, without problems, then, then actually I think the best uh, place to do strength training during the season uh, when, when you play if you play on a Sunday then do the strength training on the Monday the day after the game uh, and even if the players are tired at that time there, there is an opportunity to do uh, to do strength training uh, but low volume but high uh, high resistant strength training and then you may have uh, another strength training session for example on the Wednesday uh, when you where you have a more uh, focused and extensive uh, uh, session, and if you play twice a week, if you play on the on Sunday and and Wednesday, you can have two sessions. You but both of them will be short, and they will be the day after the game, because the day after the game is, is it's a period where where the players are fatigued, they are tired from the game, but they can still do uh, maintenance of strength. Uh, so a strength training session that where they don't go to failure, but they do maybe uh, six repetitions of a weight that they can lift eight times, uh, only three sets and only for these types of uh, uh, such as squat, deadlifts, that those types of drills. Uh, this is something that many teams are doing now because uh, it's not possible really to do it the second day of recovery uh, because then you need to start training again or, or that is also a dangerous uh, time to 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 do too too uh, high tr- uh, too high volume training, and then if you do it on the uh, too close to the next game, you will also also have problems. So, so I think this is a good solution, and many teams use it as part of their recovery strategy to do strength training. And there may also be some physiological benefits that that can promote uh, the recovery process by doing by doing uh, strength training the day after the game. So basically, you would say that the main point is maintenance of the strength and not going to failure, but kind of staying in the in in the range of doing six out of out of eight you could do. Yeah, yeah. Because if you have a, like a relatively high priority on strength training during the during the preseason, and if you stop doing strength training, like if you stop doing strength training in the gym when the season starts, you will lose that. Uh, you will lose that strength uh, quite fast. So in order to, to obtain a high stimulus, uh, both at the muscular level, but also on the nervous system, it's, uh, it's important that you maintain it. And, and, uh, and studies show that you can maintain uh, strength and explosiveness by doing low volume training if, if the resistance is, is, uh, is high. And, and how do you see the off-season? Is it long enough to actually actually see considerable improvements or is it mainly kind of maintenance also? Yeah, the off-season is it's very dependent on where you are in the world. Uh, uh, if you are in uh, Northern Europe, uh, uh, in like in the Faroe Islands where I am or Finland where you are coming from, uh, maybe the, the off-season is quite long and uh, there are huge opportunities to do, to do various stuff. But if you are in in the big leagues in Europe, uh, the off season is 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 really short. 
uh, and many of the players that are playing in in uh, in the big leagues are also national team players, meaning that uh, at least every second year they are they are up, occupied with with Euros and World Cups. So uh, for those uh, scenarios, it is quite different uh, what you what you can use to, because you also need to to players also need to go on holiday and and do nothing. So it, it's dependent on where you are. And and basically, you said that there's games all the time. Do you think you need a little bit more of aerobic capacity to recover from the games than what is demanded within the game? Yeah, you you, you need, like I said in the beginning, uh, it's complex uh, compared to, to be, if you are a hundred meter runner or if you are a, a marathon runner, you are at the end of the spectrum. Uh, between uh, between uh, really high intensity work and and really uh, extreme endurance work so so football is uh, a little of everything so so obviously you need to have a, a solid aerobic base uh, in order to not only to to recover fast but also to, to really to to improve no, no, to perform and uh, and we have done some studies where we have tried to to look for uh, For physiological predictors of performance in the game, and we see that that uh, some of the uh, aerobic qualities of the muscles, so the, the, the ability of the muscles to utilize fat uh, as a substrate, uh, is really really important for the ability to maintain a high intensity throughout the game. So so also to be able to work hard uh, at the end of the game, and we see that. Uh, All of the explosive actions and the, the the ability to resist fatigue during the most intense sequences of the game is related to other physiological variables, such as the ability to to maintain uh, uh, the ion balance in the muscles uh, and so on. So 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 different types of uh, performance, endurance, high intensity exercise, and so on are linked to certain physiological systems. And and when you plan your training, you need to you need to think about stimulating those physiological system instead of saying that if I'm going to improve endurance, I need to do long sessions of low intensity work like, like people did in yeah decades ago and, and maybe still are doing that some parts of the world. You need to think in physiological systems. And, and we know that if you do... If you train at a high intensity, you also train some of the aerobic abilities. So if you are already well trained, then maybe high intensity training is the best endurance training as well. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes. So be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.